Welcome to the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. Join the conversation about what makes our streets, parks and public spaces joyful, welcoming places for people to be and to be active. Join me, Eve Holt, strategic leader at Greater Sport, on the journey around the streets as we explore people's freedom to move about without fear. In each episode, we hear about the roles we can all play to make where we live, work and play places where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. We gather stories, experiences and ideas as we speak to strategic leaders, decision makers and lots of local people who are creating the conditions in place for everyday moving and active lives for all. So in this, the very first episode of the Right to the Streets podcast series, we're talking about crime and the community. When we talk about safety on our streets, people's first thought is often around crime, policing and criminal justice, followed by thoughts on use of CCTV, lighting and surveillance in the built environment. So we've decided to make that the starting point for this new series as we explore what makes the difference. In this rich conversation, we talk about the importance of centering the voices and experiences of victims and survivors, the need to address male violence and tackle the root causes to include a culture of misogyny and sexism in our society. And we hear about the role of police, criminal justice, nighttime economy sector, local authorities, transport planners and urban designers. We also hear about the important role that the VCSE organisations, our community, education, parents, carers, men and boys can all play and do play in making our streets and public spaces more welcoming and safe. We hear some local examples like local action through Operation Lioness. We're also reminded of the statistics which tell us that one in four women suffer sexual violence and that 97% of women say they've been sexually harassed and 85 to 90% of violent crime is committed by men and boys. We hear about the power of stories, those we tell and those that we hear amplified in the media, and how they can shift our perception of safety and influence our responses. So coming up today, you'll hear from some key leaders. I'm Kate Green. I'm the Deputy Mayor for Greater Manchester with responsibility for police crime and criminal justice. Hi, uh, Jim Faulkner. I'm a superintendent with Greater Manchester Police. I'm Nazir Rathsar. I was the chief prosecutor for the Northwest of England and um, then chief executive of the country's police and crime commissioners. Who are all contributing to strategies. So that perception versus reality is an issue. We're aware of it. We are trying our best to rebuild that trust and confidence that we have by being visible, by working in partnership with a whole host of different people to make people, hopefully make people feel safer on the streets of Greater Manchester. Thinking. It starts with listening. And there are people in Greater Manchester that aren't heard. And we just need to make sure that their voices are heard. And campaigns. It's why we have our high-profile Is This OK campaign, really talking to men and boys about what they can do as allies to help women and girls feel safe on the streets. To help reduce crime across Greater Manchester. But first, let's head to North Trafford to speak to two local women who deliver projects in the local community to help bring those crime statistics down and to shift perception of safety by creating more joyful environments for everyone. And you'll find us in the middle of a park in Gorse Hill. 
So we're in Marge Kelly Park. It's a gorgeous, proper Manchester day. It's a bit grey, a bit drizzly, but we always say get out whatever the weather. So here we are, ready to walk around the park, uh, streets of North Trafford, and hear from a number of local residents about what safer, more welcoming, joyful streets look like to them. Our first guest walks up the path to greet us. Hello. Hi. I'm saying what a great selection of hats we're going to have. <laughs> hats and umbrellas. Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm just trying to work I'm Ruth Hannon. Um, I'm a local resident in Goss Hill. I've lived here for just over 20 years and I'm the chair of a local community group called God Just Goss Hill. We've been going seven years I always lose track a little bit because in my mind it's still about 18 months I'm also a trustee of an, a local charity called Gossel Studios so we're here in Marge Kelly Park will you just tell us a little bit about this park and its its history well this actually used to be the site of an old school and when the school was pulled down um, it became a park and was kind of unnamed. So it was one of our group and a local volunteer activist, Marge Kelly, used to come and walk her dog here every day. And she'd sort of point out problems with the park and get the council engaged. And it started to be referred to as Marge's Park. So one day I had the genius idea that we should ask if it could actually be officially renamed Marge Kelly Park. We tried to keep it secret from Marge um, but she did eventually find out we got very close to it being secret until we finally announced it but yeah it became officially Marge P Kelly Park I think in 2019 and now as a result of that Marge has set up uh, friends of the park group and they're really active and we work with them so we planted some trees here and we did a project with older residents asking them for their memories of parks and trees in the area and we hung little carved wooden leaves on the trees with little quotes from people and three of those trees are in Marjorie Park. And we've got Grace has joined us. My name is Grace McCorkle, one of the co-founders of an organisation called Collaborative Women UK. Collaborative Women is a local based organisation. We specialise in providing women who have lived experience of trauma particular domestic abuse, homelessness, mental health vulnerabilities at some point in their lives to access a variety of services. They can access um, our housing support projects which provide shared models alongside the accommodation is a life skills programme where women have the ability to create their own pathway to self-empowerment and that's getting back into employment or further education or volunteering or just building their confidence alongside our housing women can access community learning hub which is based in Stretford and the community hub is run by women for women who are local residents of Trafford and also come afar from Oldham, Manchester and Stockport. They put on a variety of programmes throughout the year where women can access, majority of them free of charge, 
And women have also gone on to find employment having been employed for a long time. Got a kid behind us, he's kicking a ball just as you're meant to be doing in a park and we're right by the tram line aren't we so we've had trams running past and it's I guess just describe this park really because people can't see it it's my immediate thought it's quite nice because it feels like you've got houses all the way around it it's somewhere that's got kind of I guess surveillance if you want to use that word you've got people basically that look over it and it's fairly small and open um, which my immediate feeling is that makes me feel a little bit safer here it's not hugely sort of hidden really one of the things that's different about this park is that it is i think it's very much felt like it's it belongs to the residents so even when you come in at night time there's lots of people walking their dogs um, and when you're here in the summertime there's lots of children playing and, and families and things and i think it does benefit from it is surrounded by houses because it was a school so it does have that kind of real sense of ownership um it's it's as dark as every other park in gorse hill none of the parks have got light in but i think there is a sense that people probably do feel more comfortable here the friends group is very active and one of their things is to try and get improved gates um have more sort of benches and spaces for people to come and spend time some of the other parks they don't really have a great deal of houses around them or you know they're not particularly overlooked so on a night time they they genuinely are kind of empty whereas this does feel like a different space this is the first time i actually didn't know this park existed uh, so it's actually fantastic as a resource however just looking around sometimes even with residential properties surrounding it's good to hear that they've got an active community. And I actually do feel, although it's quite open, there's only one way in and one way out. Women and girls often say that they are nervous to utilise open space, regardless of how um, open it looks. And there is not that immediate reaction if there are neighbouring properties that people will come out to say support. And we've had a, a number of cases over the years where people have been left and been attacked and people in surrounding houses have closed the blinds. So it's how active they are around, say, criminality that's working in the area. Do they work with local police uh, station in terms of supporting them as well if there's anything that comes on site plus it's a nice space but at the same time uh, reservations whereby uh, women and girls actively using uh, open spaces do still feel a bit of a detachment from. I think parks are a funny one, aren't they? They've got like dual personalities. They're like the, the nice sober friend in the daytime and then the angry drunk friend at night time. Because obviously in the daytime they have a completely different atmosphere. They're full of, they're usually full of kids playing, uh, families or people just sat on a bench um, having a lunch break and things like that. And then at night time, you might just get a few dog walkers. Then you might get groups of kids. You might get groups of blokes. And as a result, we start to see them in a different way. And I think that's a big thing that I have tried to do with our community group here is shift how people see and experience spaces because I think a lot of it is perception. Gorse Hill, I can't speak for the rest of Trafford, but Gorse Hill's crime rate is quite low in terms of like your risk outside of your own home yet we still have empty parks on an evening i very rarely see groups of lasses kicking a ball around and i think there is that disconnect with 
who is able to use these spaces or feels they're able to use this, these spaces. But I think one of the things that we did, we've done a lantern parade in Gorse Hill for the past three years. And Marge Kelly Park has been our end destination for the last two. Um, and again, that's kind of really shifting how people use a park on a night time. They'd put lights in the trees and they'd put all lights on the railings and it just shifted how the park felt. Again, it's not the same as having, you know, big spotlights, which don't necessarily make you feel safe. (laughs) They just make you feel kind of lit up. But having all these little twinkly fairy lights everywhere really shifted how it felt as a a space in the darkness. I feel like lighting is going to come up a lot in this series. I asked Ruth about her experiences of walking through the parks in the area and her perception of danger. To get from here to my house, the quickest route is through Gorse Hill Park. And to walk around it, it's not, it's only like an extra five minutes, but sometimes if it's raining, you're like, I don't really want to have an extra five minutes in the rain. So sometimes I'll just be like, I'm going to walk through the park because I can walk through the park and and I shouldn't not be able to walk through the park. So I march through the park, still holding my keys, still feeling a bit nervous, even though I know that there's not a particular high risk in this area. But I kind of think, I've got to do this because I'm doing it for all women. <laughs> um, but I think there is that, you know, how do, we, how do we shift that feeling like we can't walk through the park, but my husband walked through the park without worrying. You know, probably the biggest risk, risk to both of us is standing in dog muck that we can't see. Uh, but it's the perceived risk to me as opposed to him. Um, and I think this, th- that's the thing that, one of the things that we've really tried to do with Gorgeous Gorse Hill is change how an area feels for people, that it feels like somewhere that is ours, feels nicer, feels safer. It's a bit like that broken window theory, you know, if, if you're walking down somewhere and there's rubbish everywhere and broken windows, you think, oh, this place is really dangerous. But if you actually it's filled with flowers and art and softer thing twinkly lights in trees you start to feel different about it so it's got what you call a mugger isn't it it's a classic so multi-use games area um, and I know anyone that's kind of been tuned into the making space for girls have talked a lot about muggers because um, you know whether it's somewhere that actually works for everybody because immediately you're enclosed and that can create a safe sense of, of being trapped not feeling safe so there's a lot of evidence now saying that we're going to create spaces to be active like that actually there are other ways in which you can both provide sort of protection so the balls aren't maybe flying out everywhere or if you've got smaller kids that they're not going to risk running out onto the road but where um, as as a woman or a girl someone has experienced any form of kind of trauma you don't feel like you're potentially trapped somewhere um, that could create a fear it's not just a women and girls thing it's just a community because just as much street crime is happening to young men as well as so it's a different perception on both sides of the story it's also beyond just the park group or people in the media area in terms of what we could do more differently is to communicate and work with wider groups and organizations not just the big uh, establishments such as your town halls or your local authority be it the police health uh, education whatever it's make a bigger community and make it something that we as you said change the mindset for everybody to say if this is part of this might be your immediate area but if you live in Trafford it's a space that should be seen as welcoming and 
beautiful for all. And I don't think we do enough of that. It's a significant part of the community that never gets to be part of conversations like this. I would absolutely agree. And I think what Trafford doesn't do well, what it does is a lot of consultation, online consultation, where they present an already made idea that we comment on. What they don't do very well is really good co-production, co-design. And I think that parks would be an amazing way to start we've still got such a set idea of parks based on victorian promenading um (laughs) we could be so bold just imagine what if it had been like if you'd actually got all the kids to use that park whatever age they are whatever gender they are wherever they come from to say what do you want this part to do and be and then I think as well that for me is another thing is you know people will complain about parts getting damaged or vandalized it's like well that's because you've given people no sense of ownership of them let them be the ones that feel like if somebody snaps a branch off a tree they've snapped the branch off their tree not the council's tree and I think that's a massive thing for me is let people feel like it's their park and and have a say in it and holding that thought about community consultation we take a leisurely three minute stroll down the road to Gorsehill Park so we've crossed over busy Talbot Road and we're now in Gorsehill Park which you met aren't you by these gorgeous big gates Um, It's definitely a sense of quite a grand and creative welcome. Um, And just to kind of give people a bit of a sense of scale, I mean, this is eight times bigger than than where we've been, more than that. Again, we've got, so we've got a basketball court or kind of, yeah, again, another sort of multi-purpose games area that is fenced off. It's got a much lower fence, actually, isn't it? It looks much newer. Um, There's a number of kids. We've got a group of kids playing cricket and football there. And then there's another playground it's got a bit more of a mixed use, isn't it? Again, so it looks like probably suits some sort of older kids, probably. Uh, and, yeah, quite a lot of trees. can hear birds singing. Uh, we've got a few benches around, again, dotted about. I have to say, immediately, it feels like a nice place to be. It looks kind of quite cared for and well-maintained. And we're next to Stretford Sports Village as well. So, immediately, you've got the school. So, it definitely feels quite a bit activated. There's people here. It's a bit of a strange one because it sits literally on an island between the two massive busy roads. So it actually makes it a challenge to get here easily, I would say. That's the big problem that it often faces. But it does have a, a lot more going on. It has had quite a bit of recent investment. And in the, I think the big thing is in the summer it is busy with um, families. But again, I think probably has a, a similar problem that Marge's part does is that you know once you get to the light turning that use disappears if we had the opportunity as a community to be more included within deciding what happens to our space and especially if you pay council tax it could be something that we could use and there's a plethora of things we could do to make it truly more user friendly and it feel like it belongs to residents of the immediate areas and people of Trafford for collaborative women we're very much around when we do big events is try to get things that run across the board of the whole community yes our focus is on women but they are a piece of a bigger puzzle and a lot of the things we like to do is where women can access them to include their families include the learning process across the generations and be inclusive in terms of decision making and I think it sets up a good blueprint 
It's interesting, just obviously as a snapshot right now, just to see who's in the park right now, isn't it? Because it is predominantly, we've got um, yeah, a group of teenage lads. There's one woman looks like over there who's walking a dog. But otherwise, most people walking through so far have been blokes. We haven't seen many women and girls so far passing through. And obviously this is at a particular time of the day, you know, it's during the week. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting just to see, you know, who does use it and does that have a kind of particular gendered perspective because I guess a lot of this is we've come back to this this I love your description before Ruth of you know how parks change their character at night and that's come up over and over again what is an amazing asset by day isn't seen as an asset in the evening and and how people that do use them in the evening often rightly or wrongly get categorized as antisocial rather than pro-social and I think of my teenage lads and I'm like there's nowhere for them to go just as there's not really many places I can go in the evening. In Gorse Hill we have endless planning permissions approved for yet another takeaway and quite often they are the only place for young people to actually gather why aren't we affording them other other spaces so that they can be part of you know not organized fun you know because once you're a teenager you don't actually want to be part of organized fun and i think parks present that opportunity and what's interesting is you know the stranger danger risk the statistics on that hasn't really changed over the years you know i'm no more at risk from a stranger attacking me now than i was when i was back in Selby as a 10-year-old, but the perception is there. Whereas, ironically, the thing that is now way more dangerous to me is a car. We have this narrative, especially with girls, and it's really propagated by all different avenues of it is our responsibility to keep ourselves safe. You even see it with some of like the police awareness things. And I think there is something about we should be, as a community trying to make our spaces as open accessible and safe and welcoming to every member of our community as is feasible and humanly possible so that is older people disabled people boys girls women men everybody the big theme of this two different parks has been boys playing so how do we get boys to think about sharing those spaces? You know, I'm not saying they've got to stop playing cricket or, or basketball, but there's a reason why there's no girls here. They're off school as well, so where are they? It's not about, you know, girls having to claim things, but it's about getting this message across of actually we should be thinking about how do we share these spaces together. Because I think there is something about us all collectively sort of saying, this is all of ours, how do we make sure everybody feels like it is all of ours? I think that was a big part of, of Gorgeous Gorse Hill was shifting that narrative. If you've ever been to Man United, down by Man United, there's a little cluster of takeaways. And everybody, apparently, fans call... Gorse Hill Red Chippy Village and that really made me angry as though like none of us who live here have any ownership of it so that's why I came up with Gorgeous Gorse Hill because that was actually like all right you might not think it's gorgeous but we're going to make it gorgeous and actually some bits of of it are gorgeous you know people have said they feel more proud because they've because of the things we've done so I think there is something about us as a community can make little incremental things it shouldn't always be on the people who are the excluded ones or the council or the police to kind of go we'll sort it all out for you because that's not going to necessarily make people feel like it's their space anymore it's like, don't worry we've put a load of floodlights up now you'll be fine it's daytime girls still out here 
and it's a really brisk afternoon so we're on the move again and walk towards the main entrance to Gorse Hill Park. So we're just at the other entrance for the park so you can just hear Chester Road, really busy road. So as you said this is an island and that's uh, the other the other side and it's again it's a really grand entrance, a big kind of bricked archway. Um, all these windows though are, are boarded up. I mean it looks like a blank canvas and I just wondered from the two of you from everything we just talked about there if we were to imagine if this entrance immediately said you are welcome you belong here this is an invitation to come to play you know what what would that look like what could we do I'd like to see these buildings put back into use instead of what they are which is kind of fairly useless really but I think that's a big thing with this park you know if you think we've got bollards that block from the road and we've got big gates that are never fully open and then we've got two bricked up gatehouses this would present a great opportunity to really work with the local community on what that frontage could look like I mean personally it needs a crossing because it's a swine to get across is that road bang on with the crossing I think it's a nightmare and I very much agree on a regular uh, everyday space but who manages it uh, allotments are massively expensive they're not really attainable to many people could we do something that brings people together and also utilize make resources that's sustainable for the immediate community as well as artwork i mean it fits nice for artwork but can you eat art can you feed the family and that's some of the things that i also look at in terms of open space how can they be multifaceted in terms of usage that has to be one of my favorite quotes of the day from grace can you eat art so let's leave grace and ruth for a while and join some of the key decision makers and influencers in greater manchester who are helping to reduce crime both in intervention and prevention we're at the Greater Manchester Combined Authority Offices in Manchester City Centre with Kate Green. I'm Kate Green. I'm the Deputy Mayor for Greater Manchester with responsibility for police, crime and criminal justice. Jim Faulkner. Hi, uh, Jim Faulkner. I'm a Superintendent with Greater Manchester Police. And Nazir Afsal. I'm Nazir Afsal. I was the Chief Prosecutor for the North West of England and and then Chief Executive of the country's Police and Crime Commissioners. Nazir is currently the Chancellor of Manchester University, but despite him not having crime in his job title anymore, he's publicly said many times that violence against women and girls is still very much a mission for him. So I start by asking him what he thinks are the key things that we need to focus on to address the safety of women and girls on our streets. I feel immensely privileged that um, victim survivors and NGOs that support them have shared their stories with me, and they do every day and every hour of every day. And uh, it's their voices that need amplifying and their experiences that need sharing. And then that will undoubtedly change the way authorities, organisations respond to them. Everything I do is, is informed by the experiences of those who've suffered. Uh, and I used to say that as a prosecutor, every prosecution was a failure because somebody had been harmed to get to us. Uh, and the ideal scenario must be to prevent harm. To talk about nationally, two women every week are murdered by their partners or ex-partners. Uh, ten women every week kill themselves because of domestic abuse. One in four women suffer domestic abuse. One in five suffer sexual violence. According to the, the Ipsos Mori survey three years ago, 97% of women in this country say they were sexually harassed. 
I mean, that's the pandemic that will outlive the one that we've just been through. And it's not something that will go away anytime soon without people addressing all the significant issues. And one of the things I think we need to focus on is not see this exclusively as a, a safety issue, a women's safety issue, but as a, a male violence issue. You know, the reality is that more than 90% of violence against women is carried out by men, but more than 90% of violence against men is carried out by men. So, you know, once we start dealing with the, the causes the symptoms, and also what drives that, the misogyny that exists, the sexism that exists in our society. Unless we start addressing the root causes, we're not going to be able to tackle this at all. So in terms of people listening, what do you think they need to be doing if they're going to help join this mission and, and prevention and address the root causes? I used to, and I'll still say, I'm not an expert at all. The experts are the people who suffer, the people who've been impacted by this, the people who work day in, day out in protecting and preventing and guiding and supporting. Uh, I think it's about ensuring that those voices are heard uh, and giving them the ability to share with you their journeys. We talk about things like trauma-informed. What that means is somebody who's been impacted knows better what could have been done differently and what should have been done differently. And then it's responding to all of those things. As I touched on a moment ago, men need to see their responsibility here. You know, time and time again, I get men saying to me, I'm walking down the street and there's a woman in front of me, do I speed up? Do I slow down? Do I cross the road? They don't know. They really have no idea. But every single one of those actions will have an impact on the a woman in front of them. And uh, we are in a situation where we need to educate more. We need to raise more awareness. Um, we need to understand that um, whilst it is as prevalent as I said it was, it's still a minority issue. Very few of us will actually suffer harm. Um, so we need to provide that reassurance. But I, I also know um, that public confidence is driven by events. So when you have the, the terrible murder of Sarah Everard and you have the, um, you know, you, every, every other week you seem to hear terrible stories of, of harm, um, you begin to question whether you feel safe. And I think there has to be a great deal more effort going into giving people the tools to make themselves feel safe and make their communities feel safe. But you need to engage with as many people as possible to understand what works. Kate, that's, that's what we've been trying to do in Greater Manchester, haven't we, in terms of you know, hearing people's voices, taking a whole system approach. Can you talk through the approach in Greater Manchester and the progress that we're making? Women and girls, everyone feeling safe on the streets is a huge priority for the mayor and for me. And we have been doing a lot of work on this in the Combined Authority over quite a few years. We have our 10-year gender-based violence strategy, and that's got a number of aspects, including making sure exactly as Nazir says, that we listen to the voices and experiences of victims and make sure that they get the outcomes that they want, feeling safe on the street, but also the criminal justice outcomes that they want. And the fact that we're working with perpetrators of gender-based violence and abuse to try to prevent their future offending. It's also really important that we make it easy for people who experience sexual abuse, violence, harassment on the streets, that they know where to go and get support and services. Uh, and we've been working hard with the criminal justice sector and the voluntary community and faith sector uh, to make sure that those services are in place and accessible. And of course, a really important piece is education. It's why we have our high profile Is This OK campaign, really talking to men and boys about what they can do as allies to help women and girls feel safe on the streets. Asking men and boys to call out 
unacceptable harassment that makes women feel uncomfortable and unsafe. We know that most men and boys don't want women to experience this when they're out and about. They don't want their sisters, their friends, their daughters, their partners to have to go through this kind of experience. So we are really working very hard to say, you're our allies in this enterprise. We're proud that you're our allies uh, and we are very, very keen uh, that you should feel confident to call out unacceptable behaviour when you see it. We also know that, of course, we want people to get out and enjoy this great city. And it's why we're putting a lot of effort into things like the work we're doing with providers of nighttime entertainment, bars, clubs and so on. We've got our Good Night Out guide that was launched in time for Welcome Week at universities last autumn. Why we support things like Village Angels and the LGBT Foundation, St John Ambulance. And it's why too we focus really hard on working with partners in local government so that we know that things like streets being clean and well lit it's why we work a lot with Transport for Greater Manchester to make sure that people feel safe when they're travelling. One of the challenges is that gap between the reality of crime and the perception of crime. Women have been telling us they haven't less experienced um, certainly anything sort of significant they would describe for themselves, but they still feel that they're not safe on our streets. What would you say, Jim, in terms of how do we address that gap between women feeling that it's not safe and actually maybe it is safe for them? It's a really good question. Um, and, and just to give you some uh, real life examples of, of that perception versus reality. Around September of 2021, there was an article run on the BBC website about someone that went into a, a nightclub and was needle stick spiked. That one incident, that, that one reporting of that one incident saw a 1400% rise in reported cases of needle stick spiking. So we had a real fear uh, amongst our users of the nighttime economy, in particular women, going into bars and nightclubs thinking they were going to get stuck by a needle or, or have their drink spiked. The reality is that yes, it does happen, uh, but it's a really rare occasion that it does happen. Uh, the most prevalent um, crime for spiking is drink spiking. So the, you know, the, the drugs that are going to the drinks or as is most common, extra alcohol. When people are ordering a, a single vodka, they get a double or a treble by their friends. So we know spiking occurs, and I'm not at all trying to dis dismiss that spiking isn't an issue, because it is. But the, that one article saw a huge, huge perception of, of, of fear amongst people going into nightclubs thinking they were gonna get stuck by a, a needle. And, and ultimately, that, that role of the media is really important here. And we go back again to what has already been referenced with Sarah Everard and, and, and that particular murder. Absolutely horrific and vile, tragic case that involved a police officer. That and subsequent things that have come out through uh, internal investigations in the metropolitan area have, have really um, affected, rightly affected, the public trust and confidence in policing across the country, but also in, in Greater Manchester. We know that our public trust and confidence, in particular with women and girls, is not really as where we, where we want it to be. And that has a real effect on our legitimacy, our, our ability to go and police the areas of Greater Manchester is deeply affected when people don't trust us. Because when people don't trust us, they don't tell us. And when they don't tell us, we can't investigate it. And we can't ultimately get a, a real picture of what is actually happening out there. Uh, so we know there's vast underreporting in this arena. The violence against women and girls is not reported as much as we want it to be. So we need to regain that trust. 
uh, and all the initiatives that Nazir and Kate have spoken about, we are heavily involved in. So we need to get more criminal justice outcomes. We need to give people the confidence that when they report a rape or a domestic abuse assault, that A, they're taken seriously, but they're treated with compassion and, and empathy. They're treated by people that know what they're doing with the right skill set, that then can investigate their crime and take it to a hopeful, positive criminal justice outcome. There's a lot of work to do, and, and, I, and I don't profess to sit here and saying that we are the finished article because we're not. Uh, so that perception versus reality is an issue. We're aware of it. We are trying our best to rebuild that trust and confidence that we have by being visible, by working in partnership with a whole host of different people to make people, hopefully make people feel safer on the streets of Greater Manchester. Often it's some of the more kind of microaggressions that women and girls experience every single day and that are highlighting that is this okay. It's people thinking it's okay to wolf whistle, to make comments, experience that some of the girls at, at Stretford High had, for example, walking past workmen, that often don't get reported because people say that they, they maybe feel they won't be taken seriously, that they won't be treated seriously. How do we shift that and tackle that culture? If they don't feel that it's going to be properly followed up by the police, if they raise it with the police, they're not going to bother reporting it. That's why it has been so important that we've made sure that Greater Manchester Police does have the resources it needs and the expertise it needs to investigate crimes of sexual abuse and harassment and that we have a criminal justice system that will help victims to take forward a complaint if they want to but also make sure that there's support for them, whether they decide to pursue a prosecution case or not. And then I think there is a really important point too about the police not necessarily being the only place that you would go. From some communities that might be, being able to talk to voluntary community or faith organisations may be a way of indirectly making sure that we know what is going on on the streets and in the home, because as we've heard, most of the attacks against women uh, take place in a domestic setting between people that they already know. And it's really important that we address that kind of harassment and abuse and violence also. So those kind of community groups and schools and colleges and often local businesses all have a massive role to play, don't they? And I know you've talked about this before, Nazir. You know, what does good look like? What can they do more of that help? Do you know, when you, when you go past a building site, you'll see a sign saying we're a considerate employer. That should be we are a listening employer. I've been working with Plymouth City Council um, who have decided to accredit companies, businesses for their work around sexual violence, domestic abuse, violence against women and girls. They are, so every business will become a third party reporting centre. Every business will require or ask its workforce to share with them any concerns they may have, as low level as they may be in there, but they're high impact. They may be low level, but they're high impact. And so it becomes everybody's business rather than a police business or a prosecutor's business or a, a local authority's business. That's how we change things. We bring it into everybody's business, everybody's day, rather than it just being seen as a you know, if it's really serious, I report to the police. Or if it's really serious, I go and tell an NGO or, or a faith group, whatever it may be. They have roles to play, absolutely. But I think we are in a pretty bad way right now. I mean, I think the conviction rates are really low, aren't they? 1% of all reports to police. That's only reports to police. And, that, and reports to police are a small number of reports that could be um, um, reported. So we're in a bad way. So we need to do much more around the preventative work. And, and it's about encouraging and involving everybody and seeing it as their responsibility and not just the responsibility of the authorities. 
One of the things we're hearing repeatedly is is the time of the day makes a massive difference in whether women and girls feel safe or not. So, you know, our mission really is we want everyone to be able to be active any time of the day, whatever the weather, whatever the day, in whatever way works for them. And whoever you are, you know, this is women and girls in their complete diversity. I mean, there's loads of things that intersect on whether or not you feel you are welcome and you belong. So there was a statistic of like 90% of women said that after dark, they don't feel safe on our streets. What can we do about that? We can make our streets a safer place to be. We can highlight the good work that everybody is doing in the area to make our streets safer. We can design certain things out. So if there are issues with lighting, because the only difference between night and day is light, if lighting in an area is an issue, then let's get lighting there. Let's get cameras there. Let's get posters that tell victims what to do. So we can make our streets feel safer by physically making them safer uh, and advertising, promoting the good work that we're doing. The media has a really important uh, role to play in this and, and you know, we need to promote all the, the really good work that we do across the partnerships to, to make our streets safer. Well, it's, the, it's the role of men here, isn't it? I mean, um, the, you know, if men were to say, look, we're gonna, this place that we're going to be in is going to be really safe for women and uh, you know the, the role of allyship here is really important then women will feel safe there you know you'll go somewhere where you think you're going to be safe um, if you're going somewhere where the men haven't spoken out the people who run the business haven't spoken out about the subject so you've got to recognize the importance of communication uh, you know getting the message out that we are an employer we're a place we're an organization that really believes in this and you will feel safe in our premises that i think sends out a strong message so I've got, I'm a mum of three teenage boys and I have both, there's a kind of education of them in terms of their own behaviour and there's also their own perception of feeling safe or not. You know, live in, live in Wally Range in South Manchester. What do I say to them when they, you know, one of them wants to go running around the local park and I find myself going, no, don't do that after dark, you're not safe. So I end up inflicting on them this sense of not being safe. I know that I feel safer if places are populated and if they're populated by people in their diversity I want to see younger and older people I want to see a mix of ethnicities then I feel safe somewhere so often we end up further projecting and creating a sense of not being safe by telling people not to go out not to go to places not to go to certain places but we also want to protect those that we love what can I do and what can others listening as, as parents both to kind of educate their own kids but also to address that gap between reality and perception. We don't want any no-go areas in Greater Manchester for anyone, whether that's women and girls, whether it's for men and boys, whether it's for non-binary people. Everybody should feel safe when they're out and about at any time of day or night in Greater Manchester. And it is true that if there are more people out and about like you, you'll feel more confident and safer. And that means we've got to make our public realm, our public spaces, attractive and welcoming. Accessibility, if it's not easy to take your buggy into the park, that's another barrier to making the most of that space. And it may mean that it's left to a small group of people who are more likely to cause or experience harassment and abuse. That's obviously going to require some investment. And that's why we try to work with local authorities to make sure that when we're investing in things that make certain parts of the community feel less safe and less appealing. Our Safer Streets investment helps to support their economic investment, their regeneration strategies, the way in which they're designing out crime uh, and working with public transport providers so that interchanges feel safe. 
But I think we've also got to all feel confident. We don't want to shut ourselves away. We don't want to shut our young people away. But I think it is also important that we think about keeping ourselves and our friends safe when we're out and about. And that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? It's a shared responsibility. And that's definitely our superpower, isn't it? That's what people refer to. They feel safe when they, you know, they get eye contact, people smile, there's people that are familiar. And we have all those, that social interaction that we know, yeah, makes places feel joyful and welcoming and safe. And we can all help add to that. It starts with listening. We can have a criminal justice outcome. That's fantastic if you can get one of those successful outcomes. But actually people feel much more emboldened by the fact that somebody heard them. And there are people in Greater Manchester that aren't heard. And we just need to make sure that their voices are heard. Fear breeds fear. The more we tell our young people that it's not safe to be somewhere, the more that that fear is perpetuated. Uh, We see that with knife crime in particular. People are carrying knives for fear of being attacked by someone with a knife. The overarching thing for me is is upstanding behaviour. The more we have our uh, men, our boys, our Uh, role models in society calling out this behaviour, the more that will generate a positive culture amongst our uh, men and young boys. Uh, It is a societal problem. It's not one that one single agency is going to fix. As a society, we need to to tackle it and and ultimately to call this behaviour out. This is a great city. It's a great city to live in, to learn in, to work in. It's a great city to visit. So if you're not from here, we'd encourage you to come and have a look at us. Uh, You'll have a great time here. But we can be even greater. We can make it a really safe, welcoming space in whatever part of the city you are, whatever you're going out to do, whether that's for work or for leisure or because you're studying or you're just out and about in the streets to take a look at the area. And we can only do that together in partnership with our partners in Greater Manchester Police, with our partners in the health service, with our partners in the education system, schools, colleges, universities, student unions, with our partners in the public transport system, Transport for Greater Manchester, the Metro, the bus companies. We can only do it in partnership with one another. The young people are a bit ahead of us on this, I think, and we should really be listening to them. A great note to end on, we've all got a role to play. It's about our collective leadership and we can make Greater Manchester an even greater place to be. Just imagine if all of us felt that we could go out any time of the day to any place and it'd be joyful. Places you want to hang about, to chat, to play and be active. Well, that's exactly what Ruth Hanan is working hard to achieve in Gorse Hill with her project Gorgeous Gorse Hill. So let's rejoin Ruth and Grace from Collaborative Women on a busy Chester Road right in the heart of Old Trafford where they've both got a rallying call to action to get us working together to create the conditions for safer streets for all. Ruth starts by showing you around one of her gorgeous Gorse Hill sites where we huddled behind an electricity substation. Yes, so we're here on um, the corner of Chester Road and Avondale Road and this is one of the spaces that gorgeous Gorse Hill sort of took over, really. It was a grass verge with a small substation on it and we told the council we were going to take it on. Um, We've added planters, tyre planters... We've added art to the substation. So this is a community take and back control space. 
And then we've got music, bollards across the road, their hours as well. And that is all about, you know, how do you turn a very drab, functional space into something that brightens people's day, really. What, that's gorgeous? Uh, that, that might be the word I'm looking for. <laughs> and so who comes and uses this space? We as a community do with the, the planters. We've got a couple of other spots that have got more sort of seating options in them. So we've got one that's on the canal bridge that have got bit that have got benches that is a genuine kind of pocket park. Kids really love it. We see kids playing there. I can see there's a bit of rhubarb growing over yeah. here. Back to, you know, edible art and all the rest of it. So Ruth, so in terms of people then taking yeah, own tip of space and making places gorgeous, have you seen an impact then on local crime and social behaviour from doing that? I mean, I think the, the most obvious one, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll do air quotes around crime, um, is the reduction in tagging. We install art on street furniture, so um, like open reach boxes, bollards, roller shutters. Where we've put art, I think I could probably count maybe only two incidences where we've had tagging happen after the art has been installed. So I think that's a massive one, is that shift in sort of people feeling like it's something uncared for to something that is cared for so i think that that's the big shift the other one is the public expression of how much the community cares about a place i'm not saying we're gonna you know suddenly crime is gonna stop overnight but that kind of low level lack of care you know people chucking litter and tagging and things like that that has reduced as a result of the community sort of going this is ours we like it we want you to show the same care for it that we we have i think that's a big part um of of what we've seen over the past few years grace what do you think needs to happen for more people communities groups to feel that they can they can take ownership of spaces and places in this way i think Individuals who've had trauma such as domestic abuse, homelessness, mental health vulnerabilities, projects like working with Gorgeous Gorse Hill and collaborations with organisations like Collaborative Women, Gorse Hill Studios and many others will be a good opportunity for them to come together. It's understanding how they feel first and foremost, creating spaces that they can feel that trust build up a camaraderie and be a pace of peer support with one another then be in a mind of collective thinking in order to affect change i feel from this operation today it's putting an ask to our local politicians in terms of if we together as two organizations and others can come together to do some form of proposal what can they do to come round the table and that be a conversation led by those who are most at risk or have suffered and experienced uh, harm against their persons in the past and effectively change how our public space looks like. It's having people who very rarely get spoken to having the opportunities to say what their lived experience is within a certain subject matter and given their perspective in how it can be uh, made different 
and there also be an ask, a political ask to leaders to come to the table to meet them. If you're dealing with women who've been um, assaulted, sexually assaulted on the street, it's going to be different from an individual who's experienced trauma within the home. If you're dealing with young girls, uh, it's going to be different from young men who have been involved or been the victim of uh, crime. And also, again, people with disabilities. So it's for one for us as a unit to come together, create an opportunity for people to have a conversation. And I think as an ask from ourselves, I think that's something I'm going to look at and discuss what can we look at in terms of affecting change and walk the talk. Mm. I think that's the main uh, thing. Obviously this project, Right to the Streets, and a real focus on how we enable women and girls to be active, physically active. But what I'm hearing here is just a key invite to kind of active listening from everybody, playing an active role as local residents, citizens, and thinking like, actually, you know, can you help take ownership of local space? Um, and then how partners, yeah, are active in their invitation to people to participate and to play a role. Um, so thank you very much. Thanks both of you for your, for your time and for everything you're doing. It's brilliant. What a great conversation. It's clear from that discussion that whilst policing, reporting and street surveillance have an important role to play, they by no means provide a silver bullet. If we want our streets to feel welcoming and joyful for all, a wider lens is needed to include and build on the actions we take in our schools, community groups and own homes. As active citizens and neighbours, we all have a role to play. As this podcast is just the start of the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what's working in your area when it comes to reducing crime on the streets and making places more gorgeous. Is it a local initiative? Perhaps you too have a community garden project that's helping reduce antisocial behaviour and increase pro-social interaction. Whatever it is, let us know and we'll share your thoughts on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few ways you can get in touch. You can tell us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, search Dear Moving or Greater Sport. You can also leave us a voicemail. You can find the link in the episode show notes and on our Dear Moving website. Search Right to the Streets podcast. A big thanks to everyone who has contributed to this episode. We'll be releasing more episodes throughout the next few months, so keep an eye on our social media pages for when the next one will be released. Or simply hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. This means the latest episode will go straight into your library as soon as it's released. This Right to the Street series, the Dear Moving podcast, is one element of the Right to Streets project, led by Great Sport, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester and other Dear Moving partners. Thanks to funding from the Home Office for Safer Streets. This series is a Mike Media production.